Okay, Matt, so this is going to be a fun podcast. Uh, we just got finished recording our other segment um, that we'll get to later with Matt and Blaze. That's got to be the stupidest segment or podcast part I've ever been a part of, but it'll be fun. Just you guys got to wait till, till we get to that one. Um, but we'll start off with football as usual. Monday Night Football just wrapped up and the Cowboys are victorious over the Los Angeles Chargers. Matt's feeling good. I'm sure 4-2 going into the bye week uh, to get healthy. So, Matt, why don't you break it down for us, how you're feeling uh, after a road win. I mean, kind of a road win. It was so loud in there for the cow- like the Cowboys. But, uh, yeah, how are you feeling after the Monday night game? I'm just happy they got out of there with the win because, I'll be honest, that was not – a pretty game at all. I don't know if you watched it, but I thought it was one of the worst performances of the year for the most part in comparison to the Cardinals game because they came out and they looked terrible. And, you know, it's mostly the offensive side of the ball, but it kind of just started like, uh-oh, this is going to be another 49ers game where the Cowboys go three and out. Chargers come down, boom, they score a touchdown. It's seven to nothing. I'm like, oh boy, here we go again. But to Dallas's credit, they actually responded. They scored a touchdown on that drive to, or the next drive to tie it up. And then it was just kind of like, okay, it was just stale for me. And really, the takeaway of this game and why I'm not jumping up for joy. Sorry, I had a noise in the back. But the reason why I'm not jumping up for joy is because of Mike McCarthy. And Mike McCarthy really killed my morale this game because of the play calling. And I got to be honest, it it's it's a problem. And I'm looking down the road when we play better teams, better coach teams, like the Eagles, the Dolphins, the Bills, the Lions, all these good teams with good coaches, we're going to get killed if we have an offensive performance like this. I mean, there's no motion. And Mike McCarthy's ability to, I guess, create a run game is non-existent. And that's like the the whole thing he was preaching about this season. Oh, we're not going to put up, you know, fireworks on an offense, right? They got rid of Kellen Moore. It was the revenge game for him. But we're not going to be a a fantasy offense. We're going to be a a game management offense, be efficient, and score when we need to score. Well, you can't tell me you're being efficient when every time on first and 10, you're going to hand the ball off to Pollard up the middle for one to two yards. And you're stuck. You're putting Dak in a terrible position, second down, third down and eight plus yards. And oh, by the way, your offense or your team committed 11 penalties. I, I mean, if it's me, only the Chargers could keep us in the game with the penalties. And sh- That's true. shout out Brandon Staley, my guy. This same, he was my guy today. He, he really did save us. But, you know, I 
always said last year, a lot last year when they had Zeke and Pollard, I said, what do they need to do with Tony Pollard? Get him in space, whatever that is. If it's a pass, if it's a run, I don't care. You get your playmakers the ball in space. But, oh, there, there was none of that, right? And I saw there was the big plays that Pollard had. What was the common thing? Oh, he was, it was a stretch play outside. And then the 60-yard pass that he took, oh, it was kind of a broken play, but Pollard was, quote-unquote, in space, right? He kind of was a blocker. He kind of ran out to the flat as Dak was scrambling. Broken play, but he's in space. And good things happen when you get your playmakers in space. And this is a problem, and it needs to be needs to be addressed going forward. Um, but yeah, that that's a tough one. And the eleven penalties just that just cannot happen. That that to me is coaching, because it's been a consistent thing. And I don't I don't I think Dallas must lead the league in offsides. I truly do because how do you line up offsides? Every single game it's not like it's just one time okay yeah everybody makes mistakes but it's four five times a game they're off sides like come on like you and i can do that we're not going to get i guarantee you i play in the nfl i'm never going to have an off sides because you know why i'm just going to watch where the ball is and line up accordingly <laughs> there is there's no talent involved with that it's just pay attention and there's no discipline like that's just that's coaching to me. That truly is coaching because you're creating your guys to set them up in the right angles. And it's obviously it's off off sides and the refs keep calling it and you're not making an adjustment game after game. That's the thing that's so frustrating. But you know what? I don't want to talk about the bad things because we did win this game. And the good thing that I took away from this game, Dak Prescott. My man, <laughs> I always rip on him, but he played pretty well, I would say. I would say, and it was it was a big game Monday night. He had the horrible game against San Fran. He's going up against a young stud quarterback in Justin Herbert, and he outplayed him by a mile. Dak was fantastic for the most part. The only two things that I think he should have done better was the quarterback sneak in the second quarter. He's got to get more leverage. He's too high, so that's why guys can just dogpile him, jump over the pile, keep him short. But to me, Dak Prescott has to be lower so you get leverage. Just, you know, maybe watch Jalen Hurts do it. I think that's a good good tip for quarterback sneaks. And then the second one was the last throw to Pog. It was a makeable throw, but, you know, yeah, it's, it, it stings, but... He didn't turn the ball over in that situation. And I was crossing my fingers that he just wasn't going to do that because we have a defense. And when you have a defense, you play to that and you give them the lead and you let them attack. So Dak Prescott, I tip my hat. I salute because you had no running game either. So it was basically the chargers were taking that away and they said, you got to beat us. And he made timely throws on third down finding CD which is, hey, he's my guy, 88. He's the number one receiver in this league, in my opinion. He was avid. He had a great game. Brandon Cooks, finally. This was like a coming out game for him. I still want to see Brandon Cooks get down the field more. But 
to me, this is what Brandon Cooks needs to do. He's got to have those one to two big plays a game and then maybe three to four just big possession catches. And that's what he had today, the possession catches. Big third downs. He caught a tough contested touchdown in the back of the end zone. Like, that's what we brought him here to do. So if he can keep that going and then just find the deep ball every once in a while in that game, I think that's going to take our offense to another level. But the defense, I mean, what can I say? Even without Trevon Diggs and Leighton Vanderish missing in this game, right? Offense gives you the lead. You need one stop to win the game. And boy, they delivered. They delivered. And Micah Parsons, he made the play. It wasn't Stephon Gilmore's interception. Because I think that sack by Micah Parsons, that put the pressure on the Chargers to kind of force the issue. Justin Herbert was kind of feeling the heat. They don't have any timeouts. They're just kind of all over the place. And then he forces the throw and Gilmore, he does the rest on the next play. So I'm happy with the defense because they started off terrible and they finished strong. So I'll take that. Still a lot of things that we need to correct. And I am concerned. I'm still a little bit concerned, but I cannot complain about four and two going into the bye week. And we're only one game back, one game back of the Eagles because Zach Wilson is the king of New York on Sunday. He delivered (laughs) and uh, was PJ Walker for the Browns did his thing against the 49ers. So the Cowboys are alive and well after six weeks. And I can live with that. I can live with that. But my hope is after the bye week, we get two weeks to rest, fix things on offense, and then we just hit the ground running. So that's a good win. It's still a good win, but I still have my concerns. But I I can't complain about four and two. Yeah, the only thing I wanted to ask you about this game, Matt, um, one, the special teams, which usually is pretty solid for you guys. Um, I just wanted to know, were you screaming at your TV when you saw, because it wasn't Turpin, because Turpin was the punt returner, but it was um, who who's the uh Jalen Tolbert? Jalen Tolbert, yes. So when you see him sprinting towards the ball to get it, because I mean, obviously he didn't know that it wasn't touched, right? Only us as the viewers know it wasn't touched. When you see him sprinting for that ball, diving on it, what like were you just like no, like screaming at your TV, like? What is going yeah, on? It was like a totally different emotion because I was like, okay, the punt's up. And then I see they push Tolbert into Turpin. So I'm like, like, what the hell? Like, where the hell is the flag? Like, come on, ref. Like, and then I see Tolbert get up. I'm like, oh, what are you doing? You took the get away from the ball. And then they called it initially, it was um a Dallas's ball because yeah. they thought it was the illegal touching. So I was like, oh, thank goodness. And then the I saw the reveal is like oh shit (laughs) we're in trouble but i wasn't necessarily mad at at tolbert because in his defense how how would he know if he touched the ball and eh, in in a way it's like i'd rather have a guy hustling trying to make a play than not not do anything in in that situation because he doesn't know what's going on so i'd rather have him hustle and try to recover versus just, oh, I'm not going to do anything. And then a guy just walks in and scores a touchdown. Like, no, that looks true. worse to me. So at least he's he's showing effort. 
But to me, I thought a flag should have been called. And maybe it's something the NFL needs to look into because, like, if you're a punt returner, how do you – you can't defend that because the, the the gunner pushed Tolbert into Turpin. It's not like, oh, Turpin walked into him, like, on his own. Like, you can clearly see he was pushed. I don't know. That's always been a rule, Turpin. though. So I think that's just part of the game at this point. Like, I No, think... but it's like if it's, the, if it's the gunner that hits the returner, like the opposing team – that's why yeah, they didn't that's call a flag. it. Yeah, I know that's a flag, but but they didn't call it because Tolbert hit. Yeah, yeah. Turpin. No, but I'm saying like that part has always been in the game, and I think that's like one of the nuances that makes like the punts even more crazy. Yeah, because I think they do teach the gunners like, hey, if you're right there, you know, you're um close to the punt returner, like push your the guy that's on you to co run into the punt returner because that's almost like I don't know. To me, that's like a nuance of the game. Um, I don't really mind. But that was one. So that was one part. Other part too. Um, I'm just wanted to get your thoughts on this. But um, you know, Justin Herbert. Obviously, we know him into a, you know, the comparisons back and forth, yada yada. Um, how much of this game would you place kind of on him? Because there were times to really put the Cowboys away, or even just hit a big play. You know, um, and he's missing throws like pretty Keenan Allen wide open several times, you know, um, not making the right read. They were bringing it up. You know, Troy Aikman was highlighting. You kind of want to just see Herbert, you know, look off the read that's not there and take the check down, something like that. So, you know, you are watching this whole game. Uh, how much of the blame are you putting on Herbert? Cause we, we know Staley, right. But uh, Herbert overall, he does have a fractured finger, but it is on his left left hand i don't know how much of a difference that makes but just kind of curious to get your thoughts on that i i think he deserves a huge huge part of the blame and like you said right it was like not even like 50 50 it was like wide open throws like keenan allen was cooking deron bland mm-hmm. a couple times on the outside and if he makes those throws i don't know i i would be here screaming my head off like i don't know just venting like how i normally would in a cowboys loss but he, like, it seems like he was, like, hesitating or he wasn't reading things as quickly. And I think the one that, okay, maybe the overthrows, okay, yeah, he was wide open. But, you know, some, sometimes you just miss it. But the one thing that I noticed and the one play that I want to highlight was it was when they were third and goal. They ended up scoring on this drive, but Austin Ecker runs out to the flat. He's wide open, like, initially. Like, if you're Herbert, you you, you got to know, like, that's your first read. So why aren't you getting him the ball or at least looking in that general direction? Because he hesitated for a second. And that hesitation allowed Marquise Bell for the Cowboys, who, by the way, had a great game filling in for Leighton Van Der Esch because, you know, we're down linebackers now. But he comes in, he flies in, makes a great one-on-one tackle against Eckler to hold him to now fourth and goal. And it's like, okay, what do you do now? So I just think that play was like, yeah, Justin Herbert is a little off because he's not reading the defenses properly. And I don't know. I think this is a good transition to uh, your quarterback. But yeah. if if you're if Tua, I think if Tua plays like how Herbert played, I I don't think the media would. Oh, he gets stop. destroyed. He Are you get, kidding me? Yeah, I think he would get destroyed. But I don't know. I don't know if because I just the game just finished. I'm not reading everything, but. It's not as loud as it should be, I feel like, 
for Justin Herbert right now because he was pretty bad. Not gonna lie, it was pretty bad. And yeah. I'm a Her- Herbert guy, but I I have no reason to, I can't defend them in this case. And it's hard for me even now to say, hmm, is he actually better than Tua? But maybe Tua has the better coach now, so I don't know. There's a it's a toss up. Yeah, so it's but interesting. It, that's um, interesting to me. No, I agree. Um, it is interesting. And, you know, I just think it's unfair to judge, you know, quarterbacks all the time. Because obviously, okay, they are the general out there. They're the leader of the offense. You know, we get all of that. Um, but to be honest, you know, Justin Herbert, they had no running game tonight. Um, you lose Mike Williams, right? You have a fractured finger. I don't know how much that's affecting you mentally, physically. Okay, the overthrows are bad. You know, those can't happen. Um, but it's it's interesting. I I think coaching does matter, like you said. Um, so I don't know. I'm not gonna I think he he does have a fair share of blame to go around. But as far as the season has gone so far, um, I do kind of feel for him overall for this season because I think we have seen, you know, just like with Tua, when Flores was his coach there obviously didn't have a lot of confidence. The offensive system wasn't very successful, right? Mike McDaniel comes in and it's a turnaround, complete 180, um, as we've seen in the these past two years. And so, I don't know, it. it's interesting because I think um, just how the media handles certain players, I think it's interesting how, you know, some guys are going to get killed versus other guys. Um, but I actually wouldn't, for this game, I, I would you know, give Justin Herbert uh, some a lot of blame. But overall, I can't even be as mad at him, you know, for what he's got. So not like he doesn't have any weapons. Keenan Allen is a stud. We saw that all night long. Um, you know, Mike yeah, Williams when he's back, there. Though. Eckler's back, right? It's, you know, there's, there's guys there to be made. But I think that gap now that people thought were so big between Herbert and Tua honestly is a little bit smaller. Um, and I'll, I'll get to that now. So obviously Miami comes off another win. I mean, not surprising here, 42 to 21 at home against Carolina. But one thing I will highlight about this Miami team overall is, you know, it's not anything you can really chalk up to numbers or anything. Um, maybe, I mean, maybe you can to a certain point because of the offensive numbers you're putting up, but they were down 14 to zero in this game. Right. And yeah, it's Carolina, you know, they're probably not a very good team, obviously don't have a win on the year, but still the fact that, you know, a team like Miami can go down 14 zero and have abs like as a viewer, you still are very, very confident that Miami is going to come back and win this game. Uh, I think that's just a testament to what Mike McDaniel has done, what Tua has done, you know, Chris Greer bringing in Tyreek, getting Jalen Waddle, uh, getting all the weapons. You know, Mostert is having a career year himself. Um, defense is finally starting to put it together. Jalen Ramsey is going to be coming back soon. This is a team, I don't know, um, that kind of felt like the old Kansas City teams where, you know, you just give them the ball and – doesn't really matter what the score is. They'll find a way to put up points and win the game. And so I uh, just wanted to, you know, 
highlight that because not a lot of teams in the NFL will do that to you. Um, you know, it it's any given Sunday. We know that uh, as we've seen, which we'll get to some of the games later. Um, you know, the undefeated teams kind of go down there. But this Miami team offensively, as long as honestly Tula and Tyreek are playing, like I think they are the best duo right now in the NFL, hands down. Tyreek is on pace for what twenty three hundred yards, I believe, on the season, which is just ridiculous. Um, Tua is on, you know, first in passing yards. Uh, I believe passing touchdowns now as well too. So you know, this offense is explosive, but it's the run game too. Like Mostert and Achan are putting up ridiculous numbers. This offense is what just under five hundred yards a game. I believe they're averaging like 39 or third like 39 points a game uh we know there's that one big big one against denver but i mean 42 again their season low is what 20 against buffalo like that's kind of a ridiculous stat to to throw out there so i don't know this miami team obviously hasn't played or sorry hasn't had the hardest strength of schedule yet so really looking forward to the next games coming up um, because it's going to get tough. And now we really get to see what this Miami team is made of. But, hey, five and one after six weeks, uh, I think everyone, you know, will take that. We do get the Eagles next week. Uh, I think we'll both be cheering for the Dolphins help, in that one. Help, help a brother out, man. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Uh, so big Sunday night game there. I'm sure, yeah, you'll be cheering on um, the Dolphins there. And then, you know, they get the Patriots, but then they get the Chiefs, the big one. Um, and so, yeah, it'll be it'll be an interesting stretch here of games. Um, re- can really put themselves in a good position. You know, if they win two out of the next three, Matt, I mean, you're sitting at, what, seven and two going into the bye week? Hey, that's a pretty solid one. Um, and with how the Eagles have looked and how the Chiefs have looked, three and oh, I believe, is actually – a really um, achievable goal for them to have going into the bye week. So um, honestly, not too much to say other than I hope everyone can stay healthy. Um, I hope that, um, you know, the system still works, like no one figures it out (laughs) uh, how to stop it. But yeah, it's just Tua this year. Um, really just executing this offense at the highest level and you know people are going to say oh he's a system quarterback just like what they've been saying about Brock Purdy right but okay you know play devil's advocate there yeah it's a system you know maybe he's executing the system perfectly but isn't that the whole point of every offensive coordinator and head coach is to put together a system that works so, okay, maybe the system runs better, but, you know, you still got to have a quarterback that's out there operating all of the motion. We know all the motion Miami does. We've It's been all that's been talked about this year, right? You still need a quarterback that's going to go out there, know what's going on, execute it. But to me, the thing that I will give to over Justin Herbert is he, like, makes decisions so quickly post-snap. It's kind of crazy. Like, he'll take a look. If it's there, you know, he'll let it go. But if it's not there, he can come off of it, 
go to his next read. We know he's not as athletic. We know he doesn't have the same arm as Herbert, but you know, he makes the right decisions. He's accurate. He hits his, you know, his checkdowns in stride. And this team is all about yak, right? Yards after catch. So it's you see him hit guys out in the flat. And it's a really underlooked part of the game, but he hits them, you, you know, you hit a guy running out in the flat in stride where they can go get another three or four yards versus kind of have to stop their momentum, right? Uh, come back and allows the defender to come and tackle him. It's like those little things that I think gets overlooked when people, um, you know, kind of grade Tua. So I'll just say that it, I've been really impressed with uh, how he's played this year. Just so aggressive because all, all his picks too have just been like really ego stuff. I haven't really seen a bad, you know, it's like he doesn't see a guy necessarily. Um, it's kind of just like he's so cocky or he's so like, you know, his ego is so big. Oh, I can easily make this role. Oh, I trust my guy to win this one-on-one. Um, so I really haven't seen like he's getting confused out there. Oh, he doesn't know what's going on. He makes a bad read. It's kind of like he's trying to, force the issue too much like he's take he's taking uh more than what's there so can't complain happy with how things are going so far um yeah big game against the eagles um and so matt i don't know i think we'll save baseball for its own segment because i do want to get to the two undefeated teams that lost this week and kind of get you know your takes on it so the first one the niners and cleveland i thought you know no deshaun PJ Walker, he's been solid, you know, in his time in the NFL. We've seen some up and down with him. Um, but I got, you know, a vet that's been been around and knows how to operate a system. But, you know, the Niners, I don't know, was this kind of uh showing a chink in the armor that is San Fran? Or is it, do you think, Cleveland's defense? Because Cleveland's defense was already number one in the league going into this game. And I think they just put a stamp on that, shutting down, you know, McCaffrey, Debo. They do go out with injuries, but, you know, does it kind of show that maybe this Niners offense can be slowed down a little bit? Or what did you take from that game? I took that they're not invincible, as they seem to be, because they just shellacked my team on national TV. And then, oh, but they can't, beat pj walker by the way pj walker was pretty bad <laughs> like yeah. watching the game he wasn't very good but i think you got to give some credit to the browns defense in this one because yeah they're good they got a guy up front to anchor it miles garrett and you got a guy in the back end and denzel ward you know so that's the kind of match made in heaven you got a good lockdown corner and you got a dominant pass rusher so you got to give credit to them and i saw a stat where Miles Garrett, I think he had like a 30-something percent win rate against Trent Williams. I think that was the highest like number for Trent Williams allowed by a single player. And Trent Williams, one of the best linemen in the game. And for him to not get dominated, but to kind of like, oh, like I found a guy that's kind of like handling me or has my number a little bit, that says a lot about Miles Garrett because that dude is a problem. <laughs> he is I could argue he could be defensive player of the year. Mm-hmm. He's that good. He's that good. But yeah, I I think the 49ers, 
you know, this Christian McCaffrey thing is really interesting because when he came out, that's when everything kind of started to just not flow a little bit. And to me, this kind of puts an emphasis on Brock Purdy and kind of brings us back to reality that, you know, this guy was a seventh round pick for a reason. Let's not forget that. And the Shanahan system is great. You know, it's quarterback friendly for the most part. But there's going to be times when it's not just, oh, I got to check it down to McCaffrey or I just got to, you know, throw a quick screen to Debo and he's going to run for a touchdown. Like, if you want to win the Super Bowl, you're going to have some games where you need your quarterback to win ugly. You know, you need that drive you know, get us in field goal range. And maybe to his credit, Brock Purdy did get him into field goal range and they just missed the kick. But to me, he did get kind of lucky because there was some questionable flags that were thrown at that like that last drive. I don't know what you thought. I thought there was some pretty, I don't know, that's kind of ticky-tack to me late in the game. But Brock Purdy looked uncomfortable. And I think the key to beat the 49ers Get a pass rush. You get a pass rush, and Brock Purdy is going to look human. That's how you're going to beat him. And if you got to go through Trent Williams. You got to go through McGlitchy, the good line. So that's the formula. Get them in passing downs and make Brock Purdy beat you. Because obviously, he didn't do it at the end. So yeah, that's my takeaway. I, I think it'll be interesting. But I did did want to say, yeah, you know, he did get them in field goal range, like you said, kind of win ugly sometimes. Yeah, the the penalties probably, you know, yeah, could go either way on, on on both sides. It was both sides. Like, oh, you called that on the Fortnite. Oh, you called that on the Browns. Like, come on, ref. Like, let let them play a little bit. Right. Um. So, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think Cleveland at home. It's it's a tough place to play. Um, but before I do get off of the Browns really fast, Matt, um, how much would you pay to swap Amari Cooper with Michael Gallup? Because I don't know if you saw that one catch that Amari made on the sideline, just absolutely mossed the DB. Um, and I still like, if I'm a Cowboys, you know, executive or someone in that front office, I would still be having nightmares of choosing Michael Gallup over Amari Cooper, uh, especially, you know, after tonight where just him and Dak not on the same page. But, uh, yeah, just from a Cowboys fan perspective, how much would you, you know, give up to swap Gallup and Amari? First off, that's messed up that you even bring this up. I was, like, trying to get over it for how many years? Like, I was trying to move on, you know, trying to see the light, see He's the number one guy. Oh, we got Pollard now. He's the lead horse. I would give, he can have my leg, my arm. <laughs> like, I don't know. What do you want? Money? Like, I don't, I don't think I have that much money, but anything. Like, Amari was that dude. And that's why the offense at the time was so prolific. Because you couldn't just shadow to CD. You had to shadow to Amari. He's still the vet. And then CD's there. He can just cook. Underneath, he can cook the number two corners. I mean, he it's it's sad, and for what we gave up for him, fifth round pick. Uh, this guy is an all pro receiver, and you're giving up a 
fifth round pick. And oh yeah, let me just think about it. His contract was $20 million a year. Look at the receiver market right now. Tyreek Hill is making over $30 million. That is a bargain <laughs> in today's NFL. And oh, what do you do? Oh, so I'm going to move off Amari Cooper, who's, you know, he has ticky-tack injuries, but hasn't had a career-threatening injury. Oh, but let me sign a guy who just tore his ACL to a five-year deal and pay him, you know, double-digit, you know, double-figure million dollars a year. Somebody please make that make sense. Because uh, I, I, I don't know why. They traded for Amari. You traded for him to be the number one. Why why trade him away when you just signed him? And knowing the NFL and, and any sport, you know every year the the market's gonna increase. So it, yeah, it may be expensive at the time, but two years later, oh look at that. That's a bargain right now. So I, I don't know. I don't get it. And if we had Amari this year, to be honest, I don't know. We would be five and one at least. So yeah, that's messed up that you even bring that up because uh, you know, I, I just, just had I couldn't help it. but think about that after I saw the catch and then how Gallup I try not tonight. to think about that because it, it makes me sad because <laughs> that he should be number 19 on the Dallas Cowboys. But yeah, he really he's should. wearing he's stuck in Cleveland now, so <laughs> he doesn't deserve that. Yeah, maybe um, we should trade him for Gallup. That's a fair trade, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone's taking that, especially uh you just got to look at the fantasy numbers. Ain't nobody taking that deal. So, um, but I, you know, before we get off football, last undefeated team, the Eagles, also uh, took their first loss to the Jets, who are surprisingly still in the mix. I mean, I'm glad Zach Wilson. You know, it's working out, but I'm kind of getting to the point where it's like, okay, you know, you had one or two, one feel good win. You know, the Jets are still in the East, right? Like, okay, let's simmer down now. You know, you know, let's see those L's start to pile up. But I think this defense, Matt, has to be given a ton of credit. I got to give Robert Sala a ton of credit because, you know, they have played really, really good quarterbacks. Um, You know, they played Josh Allen. They played Patrick Mahomes. Now Jalen Hurts. Uh, Dak, I'll throw in there. But, you know, that was a rough game overall. But... I mean, they played some pretty good quarterbacks, and they've this defense has held its own. Um, but this game in particular, Matt, I just wanted to say I think this highlighted what I was kind of talking about several weeks ago, more so with Philadelphia, in that they, you know, I was like, yeah, they're undefeated, but there's something missing from you know their team from last year, where their offense just was exploding all the time. Um, and, you know, A.J. Brown, seven catches for 131 yards, but they only put up 14 points, you know. Um, and Jalen Hurts is your leading rusher. Yeah, that's not outrageous, but, you know, you want to see DeAndre Swift or Gainwell or one of those guys getting all the touches um, and really opening things up for that pass game, right? So, I don't know. To me, this was kind of the – I'm, I think this is more of an exposure game for the Eagles than it is for the Niners loss, personally, because something about, you know, Jalen Hurts just wasn't making really good decisions. And especially to me, that last one, when he was getting blitzed, I mean, Jalen Hurts has had the luxury of that Eagles offensive line, right? He is not under pressure too many times when he's going to drop back. Um, so to me, this was kind of a, 
an eye-opening thing too, where it's like, hey, you get pressure on Jalen Hurts, that pocket starts to collapse and he can't, you know, get out and use his legs. Maybe he can't always make the best decision. Um, and none more evident than that last throw that, you know, really put the game away for them. And so, I don't know. I think this was a bigger exposure game uh, on how to slow down the Eagles. No one's going to be able to stop the tush push or whatever they're calling it. Um, but just as a whole, you know, this offense, um, I think there's chinks in the armor. And the one thing I will say about Jalen Hurts, and I'm high on Jalen Hurts. You know, I had him really high going into the MVP discussion this year. But something that I'll go all the way back to last year's Super Bowl that I noticed, which I thought was like, you know, he had a shoulder injury from last year. But his arm just weirdly, I don't, I don't know if this is just me or not, but I don't know if it's his motion, how he throws the ball, but it doesn't look very hard coming out of his hand. Like, I see Josh Allen throw the ball. You see Patrick Mahomes throw the ball. You see Justin Herbert throw the ball. You see the velocity that comes out. And I thought Jalen Hurts, you know, pretty athletic guy would be grouped into that bunch, but it looks more like a Jared Goff kind of throw, like a tool kind of throw. Um, So he makes all these throws, you know, you're trying to force into tight windows. You really need upper tier arm strength to make that happen. And I just kind of saw like, you know, especially on that last one, you're trying to fit a ball in there. Like you really got to be able to zip that thing in there. And it just kind of floats a little bit more than I would expect. Um, But I mean, good for the Jets, I guess. I just hope, you know, they're out of the playoff contention by the time Rodgers is healthy. Cause that would, I just don't want to see that happen. Uh, this He's year. walking already. I know that's th- ridiculous, by the way. Um, but that, yeah, that was just my take on the game, Matt. But what did you take from this, uh, that that game overall? Oh, that the NFC East is wide open, baby. Everybody thinks, oh, the Eagles, yeah, defending, you know, NFC champs. Uh, no, it's a new season, and if you guys pay attention, the Jets were without Sauce Gardner and their second corner. So they were down their starting corners, and you telling me you couldn't put up more points than that? If that was Dak Prescott, he would have got absolutely shredded. So all I'm saying here is it's not over because Jalen Hurts is not the same quarterback as he was last year. I thought he would have made that leap to be MVP Jalen Hurts, but I think he's kind of took a step back. And it's like, hmm, if we stop the run, you make Jalen Hurts. It's kind of like Brock Purdy. You you make make them beat you. He's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not a guy that's just gonna like. He's just gonna beat you with his arm. I want Jalen Hurts to throw the ball forty times a game because that's how we're gonna beat you. So my takeaway is the Jets stopped the run. You forced Jalen Hurts to make the big plays, and he did it. So the door is open. <laughs> okay, love um, it when the Eagles lose. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure you do. Um, We'll get off football here, and we'll get to our fun segment. Stick around, because, yeah, this one with Matt and Blaze is a lot of fun. So you're, you're not going to want to miss that. So stay tuned for that. All right. Well, this is going to be a very interesting guest segment on the fan and the fanatic because we have two guests today 
one is returning for the second time. So Matt, welcome back. But I guess do you want to explain your background for us and give maybe you can give the intro of our other guests since that relates to your background. Oh uh, yeah, so my background is um this guy I know from high school. Um, we grew up together. Unfortunately, I wouldn't say we're friends, but um, we know each other pretty well. This is Blaze Takushi, <laughs> one of the smartest guys I know. Just not when it comes to sports or common sense, but really book smart. You know, good engineer for sure. But that's about it. Blaze, anything else you want to add about yourself? Any fun facts? Uh, none of that was true, but I will add that I've known uh, Matt and Matt since like elementary school, and we used to play football together um, on the blacktop. And my nickname was the seatbelt because I was strapped both of them up. So, oh. yeah, you don't even drive with a seatbelt on, blazing drive, like yeah. Okay, but, right, but and you're one of the worst drivers that I know out there. So I'm just putting that out for anyone that gets in the car with you. I highly recommend not doing that. But all right, well that was a interesting intro <laughs> but you know what since blaze is wearing a disgusting shirt i think it's only appropriate that we w- we dig into some college football this segment so let's start with our quote-unquote home team the university of hawaii had a game this saturday and to no surprise another defeat they lose to san diego state 41 to 34 and kind of a disappointing game because it was definitely a game they should have won, and they left a lot of points off the off the board, and definitely gave San Diego State a couple freebies. So, Blaze, I'll start with you, Mister College Football Expert. What are your initial thoughts on this game, and kind of, you know, the the outcome, and what really happened, kind of at the end of the game as well with Timmy Chang. Well, my takeaway is that, number one, Brandon Shager has elite arm talent. He, um, he, I mean, some of the bombs that he threw to McBride were just, I mean, that that's that's big league throws right there. Um, number two is, I, I feel like Hawaii, they have some skill players, but, man, they just make some really, really, like, untimely turnovers. I mean, they a couple of those fumbles were just, like, in the worst possible times and then the pick six. Um, which I read after that it was actually Ashlock's fault. He said that he ran the wrong route. So again, figure it wasn't his fault. It was so he's gonna be an NFL prospect within the next two years. Um, but why are you laughing, Matt? Why do you think I'm laughing? You you actually believe that he's gonna be an NFL prospect? I think you know, if you transplant him onto another team with an offensive line and bigger receivers and a better running back. Which, by the way, I don't know uh, what happened to Tylen Hines. I haven't even seen that guy play in like forever. But yeah, he. Well, I don't know. That that's funny that you mentioned that because when we did the UH intro for the season, both of us said Tylen Hines was the X factor in this offense. They needed to get him the ball, and it's been the exact opposite. So. I don't know. I think he's going to transfer. I've been saying that for the past few weeks. Do you think he's going to leave UH? Yeah, probably. But I don't know where he would go because he's he's a little undersized. I mean, he's fast. And I guess he's somewhat like a, a tool player, but I, I, I don't really know like where, where he would go. Maybe to Oregon because, you know, they like to pick up like some pretty shitty people in the transfer portal. So 
Okay, well, you know, <laughs> well, we can talk about Oregon later and how they're the better football team in the state of Oregon, but we'll get to that oh. a little bit later. But I want to talk about I want to talk about the end of the game specifically because this was kind of the headliner post game with Timmy Chang. So late in the game, right? Ashlock fumbles, huge chance for them to take the lead. San Diego State ends up scoring. Now UH is down two possessions, and they go all the way down the field. And with about a minute or so left on the game clock, Timmy Chang elects to kick a field goal. Now, Matt, I know you're not the biggest football expert, but I would like to hear your thoughts on this decision. Like, do you think he should have kicked the field goal in this situation or continue to keep the drive going, go for the touchdown? and play for the field goal later. I appreciate you leading off with me not being a football expert, so I can't get hate on it. So thank you so much for that. But <laughs> I, mean, I mean, look honestly, at your background. It's not even a sports-related thing. So, I mean, yeah, he's yeah, not in... suck at football. That, that guy is you not an athlete on your screen. So... <laughs> okay, I guess I'll attack plays later after asking your question. Um, I mean, honestly, I think it's an okay move. Like, you have a minute left, um, a minute to try get a touchdown makes more sense to me than trying to like score and say they do get a touchdown with like 20 seconds left. They have 20 seconds to do the onside and then get into field goal range. Like for me, I'm like, you know, you have all three timeouts, you have a minute left, like realistically we should have, you know, run committed, could have maybe got a three and out, get the ball with like 45 seconds left. I think that's more than enough time, especially with the way Shager was like throwing the ball. Um, like Blaze said, he was throwing the ball well, but that's against San Diego state who has two wins before us. Like, obviously it's not a good team and Shager was throwing bombs. So, for me, like, I would rather have more time and, you know, have to, like, score a touchdown versus, like, hopefully scoring a touchdown, you know, wasting more clock. You're going to have wasted plays because it's Hawaii um, and trying to, like, have a field goal with, like, 15 seconds, like, with, like, one play just to get downfield. So, I think it makes sense. I don't know why he apologized, honestly, for that. I was just, like, and he's, like, oh, we played a win. And I was, like, you still could have, like, tied the game no matter what. It's not like we were going to, like, go. I mean, it's not like he, like, scored a touchdown and went for two. And that was, like, oh, instead of a field goal, we have to get four points if we didn't get it. Like, so I'm like, I don't think he really needs to apologize for that. But like you said, I don't know football. So I'm pretty sure um the guy wearing the number 50th Heisman candidate right now might have a different opinion than me. Yeah, you, you don't know ball. Let's just start off with that. Uh, I, I I think it was the right decision. Knowing, knowing that Hawaii's red zone efficiency is like one of the worst in the country, especially in touchdown percentage, they like the run is shoot in general is just not a good red zone offense um you know you can compare it to the complete opposite in oregon state which is a power run game power offense nfl style play calls uh you know and we and oregon state has a line to to score a lot of touchdowns in the red zone but when you're spread out like hawaii and you don't really have big receivers um, it's going to be hard, and and, and it, it might have taken up some time. So I, I I think that it was the right decision, you know, to kick and just take their chances with the onside because I mean it's better they do that than trying to score a touchdown and then they eat fifty seconds off the clock and then they don't score or they have to kick a field goal and then they have to run and get an onside kick with like twenty seconds left. So I think it was the right decision, um, just given that they. They struggle in the red zone, um, and we don't have a running back, so that helps. Well, I will say we do have a running back. We just don't use him. <laughs> that's that's my takeaway. I don't know. We Greg. have a running back. 
but we don't have a offensive line. So that is true. That is true. And do you have any thoughts on on Timmy Chang's post game comments? You're always a guy that's huge on coaching. That's why. Well, first of all, I didn't even watch the game. Second of all, I don't even know what he said, so uh, <laughs> I can't really comment on anything. That was like all the I big will say. Here. Well, all I'm gonna say is that. They had 24 points off turnovers. So, yeah, that's not going to cut it. Um, what are The pick six, um, you know, it is what it is. I got to say, though, I kind of said this before. I don't know if Blaze is being sarcastic or not, but Shager could be, like, a legit – like, he has all the, like, tangibles, like, physical tools. Like, I'm not even – I'm actually not being sarcastic about this. He's, what, like, 6'3", 6-4, like, he, he's not a mobile guy, but we've seen he can, like, throw the ball down the field. I don't know if his decision-making is always the best, necessarily, but, like, we're talking, like, just a pure, you know, NFL prospect. Yeah, maybe in a different system he can he can do better. But, uh, yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I've thought that before, too. I think I said that at the beginning of the season, that, you know, Shager has the tools. But, I mean, if he can't put it together – um against lower tier schools i mean kind of regardless of system it's going to be a little bit difficult to get any draft stock um but if if going back to the the decision really fast i don't know to me a minute left three it's a coin flip honestly um kind of maybe if the offense had was built a little bit differently like we said before um and I don't know how much you trust your kicker, but to me, I don't know if there's any way to go about that. Um, if he's apologizing, though, that's probably something I don't want to see, to be honest. Like, I'll just be honest. I don't want to hear my coach saying, oh, I'm second guessing because to me that sends a message like, you know, maybe they're not prepared. They don't know which way they want to go in certain situations. So just I don't even need to hear it. Like, you know, you, it, you're going to get criticism either way. That's what it is being a coach. Um, so I don't need to hear the apologies for decisions that are, you know, I could argue either point. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. All right. Well, that's actually a good transition to our next topic. Speaking of coaching decisions, because the other football team that we talk about, the university of Oregon had a big game against UW number seven against number eight. It was college game day in the house like this this is the big game of the week and the ducks and the the huskies it was a shootout and truthfully it came down to a couple decisions in this game all headlined by the head coach dan lanning and notoriously it was his last decision oregon has the ball fourth and three washington has no timeouts to get the first down they win the game but the risk reward a little too risky. They go for it. They don't get it. Washington comes down the field, scores. Oregon has a last chance. They miss the field goal. End of the game. But the real controversy in this is why not punt the ball? Why not punt the ball and play defense? And I know Blaze, you are like licking your chops at this because as the Beaver fan that you are, which is pretty sad honestly that you're a beaver fan but what is what is your takeaway with with dan landing like do you think 
this is kind of like a hot seat moment for him, especially since he's lost to Washington in the past already. Well, just a disclaimer, just because I'm an Oregon State fan doesn't mean I wasn't trade for Oregon because I hate Washington more. I think they're a bunch of entitled uh Watch the language. I don't I don't want to say it. Uh but um yeah, I, well I get I get the, the decision at the end of the game to go for it on four. I mean I don't get it because I think Dan Lang just I, I think honestly he's he's a young head coach that he's just trying to make his mark. He's trying to prove himself. Um and he's trying to build an identity for himself that he's gonna be this ultra aggressive play caller and his assistants are relying on um analytics to go for and fourth down all the time. But the one at the end of the game, like this in hindsight is a bad decision, but if they got that, the game is over. Um, the one I had a problem with was the one at the end of the first half is fourth and goal. And instead of kicking the field goal to get points, and I forgot what the score was at that point, but he could have just kicked the field goal, got points. Okay. Yeah. And um, I think they would have gotten the ball back. I think they deferred. Yeah. They would have gotten the ball back to start the second half. So just get three points and then go try to score a touchdown at the, at the beginning of the second half. But Instead, he not only goes for a fourth and goal, he rolls Bonix out. And Bonix is notorious for not being able to throw on the run. He's not a mobile quarterback. Brandon Shager is probably better than him throwing on the run. So, um, like, just that play call was just, I don't know. It's, it's terrible. It, it was very eerily similar to last year's Civil War, which we were all together for where Oregon went for it on fourth down in their own territory uh, against a really, really stout Oregon State defense. And not only did they – it was fourth and one, I believe, and they they run a read option with Bo Nix, and he keeps it, and he's crippled, and he just gets blown up, of course. He would have got blown up anyways if he wasn't hurt. But um, anyways, off topic. But, um, yeah, I I don't know. I had a problem with the one right before the half. The one at the end was like, I, I, I can see what he was trying to do, but I think when you're on the road like that, like you have to take some risks and you have to be like, you know, you have to kind of try and put them away. But I think Dan Lanning, like he, he's young for one. And he, I just, I really think that it's just maybe not quite an ego thing, but it's, something close to it where he's just trying to kind of make his mark, um, kind of prove to the world who he is. And um, in the end, it, it kind of bit them in the ass. But I think, um, I don't know, we'll see if they, they meet again. We'll see. Well, I will say, and I'll defer to Matt on this one. Let's say DJ Uyungle is in that situation. I don't think he's making that throw either so you can't really rip on Bo Nix for not making that throw because I've seen DJ play he doesn't look the greatest when it comes to passing he can't even throw slants so I mean I don't think it's fair you can rip on Bo Nix like that but yeah. I'm waiting for Matt um, I mean DJ would throw a pick in that same situation honestly but no I mean I hated that play call like I was so upset like I missed like the First two quarters, I just woke up for that part, and I was like, oh, "Okay, they're probably gonna try to draw him offsides. 
maybe Bonick to roll out to the right for a little bit and just punt it away. And then they ended up rolling out to the left. I was like, at least like give him a better play. You know, like they're basically in the middle of the field. First of all, I was like, you can just roll out to the right, like get Bonick an easier throw versus like trying to roll out to the left, throw across his body. And man, I was just like, you know, you're giving, I know Washington didn't have any timeouts, but you're giving the ball back to a Heisman contender, basically at midfield with like a minute 30 left. Like that's way too much time. But like how explosive UW's offense was, like how the game was, like at least give like your defense some credit of like, you know, they may have driven down the field, like the worst case scenario, right? They get the ball to 25 is a touchback, like 75 yard drive, at least you're making them work for it versus starting at midfield. It took them what, two plays to do that. Um, to score a touchdown I was like you know if they at least started the 75 like you know all right the 25 sorry like you just make them drive down the whole field they have no timeouts you tackle them inbound short of the the first down marker at any point the clock's running they're sprinting Penix isn't like really a mobile quarterback either you put a little bit of pressure on him you get one sack like takes all the momentum away so I mean I was like okay I was like definitely like you know they've been going aggressive all day I was like Lanning's gonna be smart here try to draw him off sides you know, five yards back for the punt. It's not going to make that much of a difference as long as their kickers, you know, as solid as like Hawaii's punting is. Like you'll get the ball within 25. Touchback is worst case scenario. But I mean, yeah, once I saw Bonix go out to the left, I was like, oh, they're really going for this. And I saw the play and I was like, well, like I know UW's going to score because that's just how it's going to go. But, you know, UW did have a chance at the end. And then I guess they don't have a Shipley. Like their kicker isn't as good as Shipley, so I can't say like, but. I was like, I would say we we do because he's a fifth year senior and he, I mean, I'm not going to rip him on missing that kick because that's not the reason why we lost and we shouldn't have even been in that situation in the first place. But hey, yeah, Matthew Shipley is one of the greats at UH. So let's not put some, put some respect on that guy's name at least. But that's actually a good, good transition though. So let's talk about the Pac 12 as a whole. So I think. From us as casual fans, I think we can all realize that this Pac-12 conference this year is probably the strongest group of teams in college football. You could make a case that there's about four, five, maybe New Year's six teams in the running this year. But one of them, I think, that's kind of falling out of the race is, you know, Deion Sanders in Colorado. So... I think this is one of the kind of shockers of the week. They played Stanford, who had one win coming into this game, which was against UH. And they were up 29 at home. And I checked my phone, and it's like, oh, they're in overtime. Oh, Colorado lost. So they end up blowing a 25-point or 29-point lead at home. So, Blaze, I know you know you have some mixed feelings on Colorado. You know, I guess you can start as a whole. What do you think of the whole Dion first year season so far? And, you know, what is Colorado's ceiling going to be this year after this loss? Well, I don't, you know, when he got hired and stuff, like I didn't really have any like negative reaction towards it. Um, but I definitely, when they beat TCU and they beat Colorado State, I everyone was like hyping them up. I, I didn't buy into the hype. Colorado, I don't know if you guys like kept up with them last year, but they're terrible. I mean, I think Hoy could have competed with them. They're that bad. Um, and particularly, they're really bad on both of their lines. Their D-line and their O-line was awful. I mean, I probably could have sacked their quarterback. Um, but so to me, 
like I was I, when Dion got hired, I was like, well, if he takes him to a bowl game, that's that's pretty impressive, and especially given how hard their schedule is going to be, um, just being in the Pac-12. So, you know, like I was surprised that they lost to Stanford. I mean, Stanford is not. I don't think Stanford is very good, but. I think that Dion, they're, they still have the same systemic problems that they had last year where their defensive line is Swiss cheese, their offensive line is terrible, um, but they have really good skill players. They have Shadur, they have um, Jimmy Horn, uh, Xavier Weaver, all those guys and on defense. They have some... I mean, I, I honestly think that Shiloh Sanders is going to be pretty good. He's a little undersized for a safety, but he's pretty physical. Um, he kind of reminds me of Hufunga on the 49ers, who lit up the Cowboys, by the way. Um, but hey, that was a fun. <clears throat> yeah, I, yeah, whatever. Um, so I, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that if they can get to a bowl game, which I'm not sure, their their remaining schedule is pretty tough. Um, that would be a win. Um, I, I, I think that, you know, it's hard to judge because this is his first year. And what was it, like 90-something percent of his players were from the transfer portal, 80-something percent? Something ridiculous. So uh, it's hard to build that team chemistry um, and install your system, build that culture in, like, less than a year. So, um, I, I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not really a hater of them. I hated when they got all the hype because – just stealing away from teams that really should be hyped up, like Oregon State. Um, so, you know, like I, uh-huh. I think I was just a little upset about that. But I was, I wasn't a hater to Colorado. So if you can get them to a bowl game, like that's that's impressive considering where they were a year ago. I mean, that's basically like Deion Sanders coming to Hawaii after Norm Chow and taking them to a bowl <laughs> game, which would be like, I mean, man. Hoy and Norm Chow, that was terrible. And if I remember correctly, there was only one person that really supported that head coaching uh, gig. <laughs> he came to school with a Chow Time shirt. Hey, I was so. just trying to be a supportive UH fan at the time. That was like my peak UH years, you know, coming off the Brennan, the Moniz years. So I'm trying to defend myself. I was trying to be a supporter. But you know what? We all make mistakes. We all make mistakes. It's okay. I learned from it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. sure yeah well you know it's funny that you mentioned oregon state you know i guess we've got to talk about it because you're wearing that disgusting jersey uh do you do you truthfully do you truly truly think that they're a contender to win the pac-12 i don't know about win but i think they have a shot at getting the to the championship they might need some help and if I'm being honest, like, I I don't know if Oregon State is going to beat Oregon at Austin. I mean, in that that whole rivalry series, it's proven that, I mean, unless when Oregon State is really bad, it's proven that the home team usually wins. So, I don't know. I don't know about that. And especially Oregon State doesn't really play that well on the road. But I do think we have a chance to beat Washington when they come to Corvallis. And I think that if we win out, we I think we play Stanford – Arizona and Colorado. If we went out until then, it would be probably a top 10 matchup, maybe like number nine, number 10, number nine versus, I don't even know what Washington will be, maybe number four at that point, number three. 
Um, so then, then game day will come to Corvallis and then, uh, you know, it's going to be a party and just, uh, I'm not going to be able to watch that game cause I'm going to be on a plane, but maybe I'll change my flight if game day comes, <laughs> but we'll, we'll see you yeah, and Wes no, I, on, on college game day with Pat McAfee with your beers and possibly I do getting... not want to oh, see yeah. Wes drunk on college game day. Let me just say that. Dude, I want to see Wes. I want to see Wes kick the field goal. You wouldn't want to see Wes drunk trying to kick a field goal. He's going to rush the field. I do not want to see that. And I do not want to be affiliated with him when that happens. I will just <laughs> Just get some fan and fanatic podcast merch for him real quick. Let him wear the shirt for the brand. You like for the brand, Pat. See if Pat gives you guys a shout out too, bro. Great exposure right there. Oh, God. Yeah, when Lee Corso does his stupid uh, his stupid helmet thingy, if he puts on the, the Huskies jersey, I'm throwing a, ca- a beer can at his ass. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, boys. You're, but, you're so evil. So evil, you yeah, know? Whatever. But, all right. Well, I think that's good on the college football. We can always come back, you know, later in the season as the season progresses and as championships come around. But let's finish off this segment with a fun game. So we'll shift to the basketball perspective. So last time Matt was on, let's let's give everybody a little um recap. So last time Matt was on, uh, the fan was in Japan vacationing. So we had Logan on and we did a um, basketball game. Um, it was pretty funny. That you know, we mentioned you, Blaze, as one of the key questions or the final questions, <laughs> where we had to uh, rank your basketball skill level. So we'll kind of play off of that, but the game here is we're gonna build the worst basketball player friends edition. So it's between you and Matt. So this is hey, me and Greg. We're just gonna sit back, relax, and let you guys <laughs> pick it out and create your my player but you guys can alternate based on the the categories that you guys have i'll read it out loud so the viewers can take a listen or see what's going on but basically just build the worst possible basketball player that you guys can all right so let's have uh, let's have matt go first matt can go first so matt why don't you start with the list that we have so the first one is our height height slash weight you know full body type matters height and weight you don't want a guy that's you know tall and skinny versus short and chubby so let's see who you think is going to fill out this your player be so bad i don't know <laughs> let's see uh, let's see um so, so let, me, let me say friends um here uh does that mean like it has to be people that like all of us know or is it like people that like maybe went to the HBA like Greg doesn't know? Or is this for me like uh, RGP? No, no. Just, I'll just say pick. any. Okay, as long as one of us, at least one person knows the person, that 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 counts. Um. Oh god, dude, people are gonna hate me. Uh. Let's see. <laughs> Let me just sit oh, back man. and sip on my my drink right here. Ah oh, man, I'm gonna height and weight. You couldn't just pick one, like. You want to do height? We can uh, do. We can do height. Yeah, it's just yeah. We'll just go with height. Um. That play basketball. Uh, I'll go with uh Brandon. It's not the tallest of my friends, but <laughs> on the shorter side, like I'm not that tall either, but you know, shorter than me, and that comes to mind from playing basketball with him. So, 
Yeah, I'll go with that. Okay. Why wouldn't you just choose Lucas? I guess that's your pick then. <laughs> I forgot. Whoa. I forgot that Lucas is in our friend group. Not gonna lie, and we just saw him. I totally forgot about <laughs> Lucas. <laughs> I didn't make the list. I didn't know what the game was. Matt just told me before I came on. I didn't have time. I'm to pretty sure it. Lucas is shorter than Brandon. Okay, well, we'll edit Actually, this. I'll pick Lucas then. <laughs> okay. All right, oh, Liz, you can you can pick Lucas too. This is literally just creating your own. Worst player. I was gonna say, how do you not pick Lucas? Honestly, <laughs> I mean, I love oh. Lucas. Don't go wrong, but oh. hey, I've known Lucas the longest here. All right, so I can say. <laughs> hey, you put five five on Tinder, bro. So this is being honest. Oh my god! <laughs> all right, Blaze, is Lucas gonna be your your pick as well? Um, worst basketball player. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> hey, congrats, Lucas! Your unanimous unanimous pick in this uh this game. Congratulations! <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move to the next category. We'll do shooting shooting ability. Matt, back to you. Um. I'm gonna pick someone that was um really good on in our intramural team. Uh, he has a, his last name is similar to mine. I'm gonna pick Riley for worst shooting <laughs> possible. Um, I don't. I see him shoot the ball. It doesn't look right. It definitely does not look right. And I'm like, I'm like, I see why you're doing homework on the sideline when we're playing. But I'm. Just, I love Riley, but whenever I see him shoot, it kind of hurts my soul. I'm like, oh, I don't like basketball <laughs> as much as I used to. I'm like, oh, that's painful to watch. But shout out to Riley. All right, shout out to you. Every season, Pearl Harbor's finest. Okay, back to Blaze. Shooting. Ooh, this one's gonna be a close one, but I, I think I think I gotta choose uh, Matt Sakai. Dude, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean, Matt Sakai? Like he oh. has. Coming All from he you, does you can't is even make layups. Do you have any of my backboards you hit in basketball? All you can't you do even make is any shoot shots. floaters. Yeah, but I make them. At least I hit the floaters. rim. You miss, you miss the rim on shooting layups every time no, you play the no. The only hey, time yo, you play yo, well yo, is yo, at yo, practice because you suck under pressure. No, because you hey, have a weak let, mentality. Let, let me talk. You're weak let as a person. Talk. Let me talk. You're a weak mentality. You're not strong at all. You can't swear. That's the whole point, bro. Relax. But you're really going to pick me for shooting? You're really picking me for yeah, It's yeah. good. Yeah, you, you keep, going, keep going. Keep going. Keep going. With Lucas, you oh, play. You... Okay. Oh, no, okay. All right. I'll punch you in the face after this. Continue. Go. <laughs> okay. Well, you don't really like. You just take a bunch of like soft ass floaters. You're not really a three point shooter. The only time I've really seen you like make a lot of three pointers, you bank it in because like that was you're, like, one half bank squinting okay, when you shoot. Okay, so now you're just being racist at this you... point. No, 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 it's not racist. I'm just, I'm just saying that your shooting form, like you kind of like squint at the rim, and I'm like, and I still shoot a higher percentage than you. I don't shoot forty shots like you, so I'm sorry I don't put up ten points off a of forty hey, point no, shot. No, no, I shoot like, forty shots, but I shoot out of, I shoot out a fifty percent clip because I'm a sniper. <laughs> I'm strapped up. I've, give, give me your stats. I've played basketball with you, Blaze. I've never seen you shoot fifty percent. Not even on your layups. You can't even make a layup, Blaze. How do you think you're... It's, no, no, no. It's, it's, it's true shooting percentage, effective shooting percentage. It takes into account how contested I am. Because defenders, I demand boxing one every single time I play. I get two guys on me, shadowing me every single time I play.
play. So, of course, I'm not going to get open shots, but when I do, I shoot at a pretty high clip. <laughs> yeah. I also, well, maybe we'll save this for later, but I also, you know, I'm a good free throw shooter, and then I also provide a lot in intangibles for a team. Oh, that you what, like most techs, like most techs on the team? Yeah. Yeah. Like you definitely fire, the no, most no, no, no. It's not Texas. It's fiery competitiveness. Passion. Yeah, you have the same passion as Kevin Porter Jr., Blaze. So good for you. Oh, oh. <laughs> okay. That's that's kind of messed up. Sorry, Miles Bridges. Sorry. Oh my god. <laughs> that's All not right. I, I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna cut you guys off so we can move to the next category, but due to uh, time constraints. Let's go to um we'll combine this into one category. We'll say um passing and ball handling. My first, um, yeah. I would probably go with West for ball handling if it was separate and in passing Blaze because he doesn't know what that is. <laughs> um, oh, Blaze, yeah, but I mean, you you guys know West um, ball handling. Apparently, he's been, he's getting him. he he's been playing Isn't with he them playing all the weekend. Yeah, yeah. So I, maybe I, it's I heard that he got a lot better. I haven't been I seeing it, but I heard. Yeah, I have heard he's improved. Yeah. All right, Blake, what's your answer to running out of time here? Um, ball handling, definitely Lucas. I mean, that dude <laughs> hey, he's is shifty. He's, shifty. <laughs> he's not shifty. He has one crossover, and he's basically the opposite of Jalen Brown. He just can't, he can't go right. All he goes is left. He's <laughs> he's terrible. Um, and in passing, I, I'm gonna have to give myself. Uh, the passing one because and it's not what you think it's not because i'm a ball hog or anything i i drop dimes but because greg is on this podcast uh, one time in college i actually nailed greg in the face uh, that, was, that was totally my bad so i mean the argument could be made that greg wasn't uh fully aware you know he could have had better awareness to look at his surroundings but yeah i don't even re- i do remember getting smacked in the face by the ball i think i was like half looking but i wasn't really looking and then the next thing i see yeah. the ball is like right in my face <laughs> Did you whip oh, that, that out of funny. two plays that's a terrible pass i remember that that was funny <laughs> oh yeah, my god so i'll give myself that just because of that instance but overall I, i'm i'm a a team first point guard pass first point guard oh all right. Well, you know, I'm going to skip the defense. We don't care about defense on this podcast, but let's go to the last one because this is important. The last category is team morale. And I oh, think I, I mean, know where Matt's pretty, going with this one. Yeah, that's pretty easy. You got to think about like who would be toxic to a team, like who is just a terrible person overall. Like they don't have a lot of friends, like no one wants to hang out with them on or off the court. And it's a pretty easy answer. It's Blaze Takushi. Um, like he's just a terrible person. Like he blames his teammates. Like he blamed Greg for Blaze throwing the ball directly at his face, like a quarterback. And he said it's Greg's fault for not paying attention. Like who throws their teammate under the bus like that? Like you know, like the three of us, like me, Matt, and Greg, like we're all team players. We all try to do the best for the team. Blaze is the kind to he'll shoot forty shots, make three of them, and then blame the team for not passing the ball enough, and they lose. So I definitely would say Blaze would be the worst and most toxic person in a locker room possible. Blaze, what is your what are your thoughts on this question? Team morale, well, I define team morale as being a leader, um, picking up people who are down and 
someone who doesn't do that is definitely this prick named Matt Sakai. Um, <laughs> that guy is so selfish. He he claims to be a pass first point guard, but all he does is just drive the lane and take his stupid floaters. He doesn't do anything. Well, um, you what do you mean? You can ask these two. They're on my intramural team. Know. I hey, let our team hey, in assist. Hey, I shot hey. like I shot like shut five up, to six shots up. a game because I'm not selfish. Continue, yeah, place. You probably stat padded in garbage time. Um, but this guy is so self-centered. All he does is talk about how good looking it is all the time. It's like <laughs> what does that oh, have to do with it? Okay, all right, that's fair. That's fair. Okay, boys. He he he's not like you know committed to building his team up. Um he's just a he's a me guy. Um kind of like Bo Nix. Okay. Know, well, like, what is this? What, what does Bo Nix have to do? Off? Oh god. You know what? That's my cue to cut you off already, Blaze. That that's out of line. You can you can roast Matt, but you can't roast Bo like that. That's just that's messed up. <laughs> but all right, I think I think that's a good time to just uh, cut this segment off. I think we're good on the college football discussions for today. But thank you guys for both coming Thanks, on. <laughs> yeah, this is for our peer entertainment yeah. only. So thank you for coming on. We look forward to having you guys both back on again to do another round two of this debate. So we'll take a break here and we'll finish up with some baseball coming up. All right. Well, that chaos with Matt and Blaze is finally over. I think we needed a little five minute break from that debate but that was, eh, that was fun at least for us we got to kind of just kick back relax and watch those two clowns duke it out but you know let's finish off this podcast with uh our mlb baseball segment obviously the playoffs are in the thick of things right now and sadly somebody's team has been eliminated and has did not even win a playoff game this year so the dodgers fall to the Diamondbacks they get swept in the divisional round game three probably wasn't a good one for you at least watching it but you can have the floor it's it's your segment to to let it all out just have at it have at it what was your thoughts on game three okay yeah so I'll start with game three I don't need to talk about games one and two already um but I'll do game three and then I'll kind of give a season overall you know recap of what i thought and what i'm looking forward to this out off season um but yeah get right into game three you know weirdly enough like i said i didn't hate that lance lynn was going gonna be getting the ball right because i thought we were kind of dead um offensively not a lot of you know firepower or explosion that we've seen and so i was happy to hear that you know it was going to be Lance Lynn who kind of you know he's a he's a guy that's going to scream he's going to yell at the other team uh he's going to get in your face and so that was something I wanted to see um and you know it looked okay through the first two innings um but I just got to say that um I know I get the four home run inning you can harp on him. You can harp on Dave for not taking him out, which I thought, you know, he should have done after two and definitely after three, um, you know, but it is what it is at that point. 
at least they were all solo shots. So it kept us, you know, four isn't crazy. When you get six zero, five six zero, okay, you really feel like, oh, it's it's pretty much done. Um, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it still wasn't over. Like honestly, it still wasn't over. Um, we had some chances, and so I just really got to talk about the offense because to me that is what was really like such a backbreaker for me. Um, looking at this with how everything played out, um, because our two guys who have been so good all year, right? Mookie and Freddie go one for 21 through three games. Can't happen. That cannot happen. Like I'm Mookie. I don't think Mookie had a hit, right? The whole series. Um, he had one infield hit, I think. Okay. So he had an infield hit, but like, it's just that can't happen. Like we can't be having that. Um, And to me, the thing that I noticed was the approach because Freddie and Mookie, you know, their swings are to hit the ball the other way or up the middle, you know? Um, and when their timing is good, when they're seeing it well, yeah, they're going to pull the ball inside or they're going to hit the ball and drive the ball, right? They can hit it to the whole field. But what I saw in this game three um, from both guys is just weak, you know, more so Freddie, actually, because Mookie did finally barrel up some balls in game three. I will say he had a, a line out to the center fielder, um, which I kind of thought was going to get him going. But Freddie, I just don't understand because he's so good at using the entire field. And, you know, his whole approach, if you ever hear him talk about his hitting approach, he tries to go to left center. That's where he's trying to hit the ball every single time. And I just couldn't get over. I think he had like three weak contact ground balls to second base. And, you know, a couple of them in with guys on base. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, that is not the Freddie that I know. That is not it. And, you know, credit to, you know, some of the rest of the guys, Will Smith, who probably was our best hitter, you know, throughout the three games. Kike, like you said, I got to give you credit because you said we needed to get him in there. Um, you know, even like Chris Taylor had a had a pretty good at bat, um, got a hit there. But we just we did have some chances when guys got on and just couldn't hit the fastball. I don't understand how we couldn't hit the fastball. Uh, keep in mind, the Dodgers faced, I think he was a rookie uh, that got the ball for the Diamondbacks. And the Dodgers were hitting him all year, right? What was this guy's name? Like Fat Brandon Fat, Fat. Brandon Fat. Fat. Um, they were hitting him all year. He hasn't, you know, been particularly good, but they couldn't hit his fastball. And he's not a 96, 97, 98 thrower. Like he's like sits at 94, 95. And they're he's throwing the fastball right by these guys. And to me, it's just saying like they're all trying to do too much. Everyone's trying to hit a home run every time they step up to bat and you just don't need that approach in the playoffs right you need to just string the big innings together because that's really what breaks teams right 
it's the double, then a single, and then another single, and it's oh man, now then one home run will you know unlock the whole thing. But if we don't get guys on base, like it's kind of hard to really do anything. And so to me, I just couldn't get over like the the lack of offensive production. Um, because it looked like these in these three games looked like a complete different team that I've seen all year long. Um, and especially offensively, and I I just can't get off the you know first two guys. Um because they they had their chances, both of them, with guys in scoring position and just couldn't get it done. Um and really the the dagger came when Colton was able to draw a walk, you know, as a pinch hitter. Bring up, you know, our one, two, three guys all with a chance to do something, and we go one, two, three. Um just that was the deflating moment for me. I didn't even think we were gonna that I just had no hope. Um, and so overall, just a really sad and, um, disheartening, like effort, I will say. And I don't know what exactly needs to change, but we need to bring in a guy, player, coach, someone, um, someone that's going to be a definitive leader in that ball, like in that locker room you know it used to be kirsch i think um but i just we need some guy that's going to be like laser focused and really uh like be the guy you know and mookie i hate to say it but in these playoffs since he's been a dodger kind of really hasn't been that guy i mean defensively he's always going to be there but i can't think of that marquee moment right it's been justin turner for how many years right when it comes to the playoffs you need the big hit, and he's up there. You're confident. Now it's to the point where Mookie's up there. It's like, oh, please just get on base. Like, please just get on base. And you can't be having that from your your, your stud, right? The guy, one of the top five players in the game. Even Freddie this series, like, come on, Freddie, just get, get a hit. You know, we know you can do it. Um, So kind of just missing that alpha guy, uh. And I'll allude to who that's going to be later. Um, I think we all know where I'm heading with this. But, yeah, overall, just really, like, this one hurts more than the San Diego one because it just felt like no one believed. None of the guys believed, almost. Um, you know, maybe Kike because he'll get, you know, get guys riled up. Even Miggy Rojas, weirdly enough, was one of the more vocal ones about, you know, being a leader on this team and just just a sad way to go out. I'll say that. Um, so overall in the season, I got to give Dave Roberts credit for the regular season because the team that showed up in these three games is kind of the team we were expecting the Dodgers to be in the regular season, right? Not really that good. Starting pitching was kind of going to be questionable. We knew this. Um, how is our lineup going to look? It's only Freddie and Mookie, really. JD was a wild card. Muncie came off a bad year. Will Smith is, you know, usually kind of up and down, but how was Jason Hayward going to do? How was David Peralta going to do? How was Rojas going to perform? And the team that, you know, showed up in these three games were the team that was expected 
um, to show up during the regular season. But I got to give Dave Roberts props because he turned this team into a 100-win team. If you took out all the records from the playoff, uh, playoff teams and you said which team had the worst record, you'd say it was the Dodgers based on how they looked in three games, right? They looked absolutely terrible. So I got to give Dave Roberts credit for handling the regular season, getting us there, but something has got to change next year. I don't know what it is. I don't know if the format screwed us. I mean, Houston still, you know, made it. They looked fine. Um, all the other teams struggled. I get that, but there's got to be something to help uh, our guys get locked in for the playoffs. Um, and I don't know what that is, but I think something, some kind of change needs to be got, like needs to be done. Maybe we go get, I don't know, Kim Ng is available now. <laughs> what she did with the Marlins. I'm not saying That's you right. go, you know, replace Friedman or replace um, Gomes, but I don't know, maybe something. I just like something's got to happen. Um, and I think I'll I'll get to it now. Uh, it's got to be Shohei. I think you got to break the bank. I don't care what he's asking for, but you need Shohei on this team. Um, you There's a reason you didn't bring back Justin Turner didn't bring back Cody Bellinger. You didn't bring back Trey Turner. There's a reason you didn't bring all these guys back. You didn't match contracts on these guys. That's because you knew you're going to go after Shohei this year. And I get that he's not going to pitch, right? I get he's not going to pitch. But the electricity that he brings, he, like, you know, solo carried the entire Angels, you know, revenue for the past two years. So imagine what a Dodgers team that already does well with, you know, fan attendance is going to be like when Shohei is there in L.A. Um, I think you need to land him regardless of if he ever pitches again. I'm going to be honest. Even if he doesn't pitch ever again, would you take hitting 300 with 45 plus home runs and 100 plus RBIs and 100 runs scored? Yeah, that sounds like a guy I'd want on my team right? Coming from the lefty side of the box as well. So I just think you you do whatever you have to to get him because I think he is a spark that we finally are going to need um, to get us over the hump and back to competing with the Phillies and with the Braves, you know? So that's, that's how I feel right now. Um, overall on this season, I think maybe my hopes got a little bit too high because of how well they did in the regular season, but you really look up this team, this team on paper, it's not a surprising thing that they get swept by the Diamondbacks, honestly. Um, so there's going to be changes that has to be made. I think a lot of these guys, you know, are not going to be coming back. Um, maybe even move Muncie. Uh, but we do have a lot of prospects that I think need to be traded or, um, you know, exchanged for cash. I don't know, but. I think number one goal is to get Shohei and then you get a starting pitcher, like a stud starting pitcher, Blake Snell, maybe on the market. Um, but something has got to change, you know, can't just rely on Walker Buehler coming back, Gonsolin coming back, Dustin May coming back because, you know, as we've seen things happen, you need guys that are going to be able to perform in the postseason. So yeah, hopefully we do another episode where Shohei's on the team in the near future but yeah i'm done with the dodgers um for this year it was you know 
they exceeded my regular season expectations and majorly disappointed my postseason expectations. <laughs> so overall, it was eh on the season. Um, hey, but, it's championship or bust, man. You either it is all if you're good. Yankees, Dodgers, all... Braves. Like if you're not winning the World Series. It does make me feel better that the Braves got bounced and they only won one game, though. That does make me feel a little bit better. Um, And so, yeah, to that, I will say go Phillies because now I'm cheering for the Phillies. (laughs) I think Bryce deserves a ring, so I'll I'll leave it at that. I do. I do. All right. Well, I'm glad you got your Dodger steam off. I get it. I had my steam off in uh, September because at least your team made the playoffs, but I don't want to go there. But you mentioned the Phillies. They're still in the race, and that was the big series, right? Everyone was talking about in the NLDS, the Phillies and the Braves. Who's going to come out of that one? It's kind of like you could say maybe the two best teams in baseball at the time going into the series, and I don't think that series disappointed. It was a four-game series, very hard fought. Game three, okay, the Phillies kind of outmashed, but game four, I watched that game four. I don't know if you did, but that Mm -hmm. was – that's a playoff game right there. And, you know, Braves got Strider on the mound. The the crowd is heckling him. Strider, Strider. And the Phillies, they don't have Aaron Nola. They don't have Zach, Ye- uh, not Zach Yellen, Zach Wheeler. They have Ranger Suarez, the number three guy. And for him to kind of deliver some chunk innings, I think he went five innings, one run. That gives you a chance to win. So got to give credit to him there. But I think that I want to talk about that game because it was really late in the game, right? The Phillies, they won. Like Castellanos stayed hot. He had two home runs. Trey Turner hit a home run as well. But late in the game, the Braves had their chance and they blew it. So they were kind of chipping away at the momentum. They got a couple guys on. Kevin Pilar is on third with, I believe, one out. And Kimbrel's on the mound. He throws a wild pitch, or we think it's going to be a wild pitch. Kevin Pillar doesn't break for home. And I saw that, and I was like, oh, that's that's going to lose them the game, I think. Because that could have cut it to one. You still got the eighth. You still got the ninth. That that hurt. or this, I think maybe it was the sixth inning. I don't know. But that can't happen if you're Kevin Pillar. Like, I get you don't want to make the out at home because that's just going to destroy you. But that's a read a professional baseball player has to make on a pass ball. And to cut it to one. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I I think that was such a huge mistake to not get because that to me, maybe if they, if they score, they actually, I think would win the game. And that leads me to the second point because Rob Thompson, the Phillies manager, kind of just says, you know, F it. I'm just going to go with my best guys in the most clutch situations, right? So typically, you know, you got your closer, you got a setup. They're going to pitch the eighth. They're going to pitch the ninth. And he did the exact opposite. He said, nah, I'm going to pitch them when the stress innings are in the moment. So he goes at Alvarado. He goes at Kimbrell in the sixth and seventh, and then he has to kind of navigate the eighth and the ninth to close it out. So it's like, if you cut that lead to one, you're not even going to face Kimbrel 
in the ninth. You're not going to face Alvarado in the eighth. You actually can face, you know, their A, B-level bullpen instead of the top-level A guys that close out the game. So I, I don't know. What do you what do you think about as more Rob Thompson's decision of I'm just going to pitch my guys in the high leverage situation versus oh I'm going to pitch this guy in the eighth regardless and then this guy's going to be my closer. That's such a tough decision. I mean, I got to give him props because it worked. That's a tough decision to make because you know, you're banking on your guys down the road. And I I kind of like the logic. Like it does make sense to me. But, you know, what if, like, you say you use your closer in the seventh, right, to get out of that bases loaded jab. All right, it works out. But, you know, realistically, he's not going to be out there for the ninth. And so what happens now when you're in that high leverage situation in the ninth inning, uh, you know, only down or you're only up, you know, two you're runs two, at that eight. point. Yeah. Another high leverage situation comes up. How comfortable are you going to feel throwing – what you believe is your third best reliever out there. You know, it's not a matchup thing. It's not, it, it's just our best guys are going to go in whenever we can or whenever we need them. That's a little bit, I don't know. I, I don't know how I feel about that, to be honest. Um, Cause to me, you gotta, you still gotta manage the game um, in a way that, you know, you're expecting things to go, um you you need your guys late in the game right that that's just how i feel i don't hate the the logic of it but if i was managing it i, I still would not put my closer out there like i couldn't put my two high you know stress guys out there especially not in a game you know it's a game 5 it's a game 7 right like you need to get out of this inning out of this game no matter what don't even think about what happens later. Okay. But it just seems like a little bit too reckless to me to, to be throwing your closers out there like that. That's just me though. Um, you know, I don't know, but I give them props cause it worked, but I don't know if I could do that. I probably still wouldn't. I, I would like agree to disagree because I agree with the decision more for Alvarado because he's kind of like that. He's their best reliever, but he's not the closer technically. So he really picks and chooses when to use that weapon. So I agree with using him. Yeah. in the high leverage situation, when the top of the lineup is up, I'm using him, but I think he, he mismanaged it where it was like, okay, I think the guys are coming out too fast, you know, like, Dominguez, another hard throwing guy that they have, like he pitched two batters <laughs> and he, nope, you're done. Alvarado's in. Granted, Matt Olsen was up, so I understand the logic there, but why not throw Alvarado? I get it's you know, the right, righty lefty thing. Sometimes I hate Dave Roberts is a guy. My dad always says this. He, he hates when Dave Roberts just like does so much analytical thinking. Like if your best guy's out there, I believe he's going to get him out. I don't care if he's a righty or a lefty. So I feel like in that case, why not throw Alvarado longer? Or why not throw Dominguez after to eat the bulk innings? And then now, okay, that's your high leverage guys, but oh, you still got Kimbrough in your back pocket for the eighth or the ninth or both. So 
I just think the leash on these guys are a little too short, especially in a close game and when they're pitching well. Kind of hard to take out a guy when they're pitching well to me. So that's the only part I disagree on. But I do agree on, yeah, because you got to get out of that tough situation. If you blow that game open, then you lose anyway, and you just have your guy sitting on the bench. So I like the I like the aggression. I just think, like you said, there are different ways to better manage the situation and set yourself up for, you know, that potential late inning closeout that you have. But hey, the Phillies, I'm cheering for the Phillies in the NLCS now. I think you are against the D-backs. They come out. Yeah, definitely. Smack them in the mouth. Schwarber leadoff bomb. Harper homers again on his birthday. I don't know. I think this one, yeah, it's 1-0, but it's going to be a good series. I, I think it goes at least six. I would say six. I think the Phillies win in six, I would say. But I think the Diamondbacks, tough, tough blow to lose with Zach Gallen. And I think that's a huge thing to match because I don't think their starting pitching is as deep as Philadelphia's right now. And if you're relying on Merrill Kelly and Brandon Fat, that's a that's a tough situation to be in. But I think their offense is gonna wake up and uh they're gonna make this a series. So I don't know what you think about this series. Philly's in five. I th- I think it's five. five. Really? Five. Wow. I, the only reason I will say five is because these Phillies guys are not going to miss the meatballs that are going to be thrown. Like you said, you know, Zach Gallen missed on a couple pitches and the Phillies jumped all over it. Um, same pitches the Dodgers were getting. I'm not like, I, honestly, like he didn't pit. I don't think Zach Gallen pitched any better against the Dodgers. I don't think Merrill Kelly is going to pitch any better against the Phillies than he did the Dodgers. And so, along with the rookie, but like, honestly, there were pitches to hit for the Dodgers. You know, they just missed them. Like, I don't know what else to say. I don't know if it's the approach. I don't know what's going on in their heads, but there were fastballs elevated in the zone that were drivable, hittable pitches, and they missed them. But this Phillies team is so locked in right now. You could argue one through nine at this point, right? It's so scary, their lineup, top to bottom. Not all those guys are going to miss. Trey Turner is finally playing like the Trey Turner MVP candidate we thought he was going to be. This team is locked in. And especially when they get that home run from Schwarber out of that leadoff spot, once they get any kind of production out of him, it just sparks everything. So that's why I'm going to say in five, I think Arizona is going to put up runs this series. I don't think it's going to be, you know, kind of like how it was today. I think there will be I think there's gonna be like a seven to six win in there for the Phillies, something like that. But I think they're gonna just out hit Arizona and I think it's gonna be a five game series. That's a bold one. I, I think Phillies in, in six is a safer safe pick for me. Safe pick. But okay, let's move to the AL side. So the Astros, I don't think it was a shocker that they beat the twins. I think we said it was gonna go five. It was four, but it was a it was a close four games. But I think, you know, just experience, better talent kind of just took over. But now they meet their division rival in Texas. And we're thinking, okay, this is gonna be a seven game series, but oh man, Texas comes out, wins the first two games. I mean, the first game, who would have thought Jordan Montgomery would outduel Justin Verlander? 
makes me sick as a Yankees fan to to see him balling out on that stage. But that game, the end of the game was kind of the critical one because Altuve had that base running error on Alec Bregman, Alex Bregman's hit. And I was getting like, oh my gosh, this is like hilarious to see that Aroldis Chapman's going to have another choking moment in Minute Maid Park against the Astros, but he gets bailed out by uh, Altuve's base running. And the rookie, Evan Carter, had no idea who this guy was before the postseason, but this guy is he's pretty good. <laughs> he's pretty good, and he gets on base, and that's the money ball logic. So I think he's he's such a huge weapon. And in game two, they actually didn't even start him because he's a lefty, so... Uh, Framler Valdez is pitching game two for the Astros. They start Robbie Grossman. I guess it sort of paid off because he was part of the rally in the first inning. They Rangers, jumped all over him. Yeah. Four runs in the first inning. Uh, and they this one was like the Rangers just kind of, they jumped out early, but they were just hanging on. Like, I don't know, a couple more innings in the game. I could see the Astros winning, but. Yeah, they the Astros had their chances. They had uh I think they had bases loaded, nobody out in the fifth, and they did score. So I think you gotta give credit to Mr. Ivaldi, who's also a ex-Yankee, who also is doing well after he leaves the Yankees. So kind of you know, some kind of trend going on here that these guys just don't perform well in pinstripes. I, I don't understand why that's the case, but I don't know. I think the Astros, even with Jordan Alvarez, you know, his flu game, he had two home runs. I don't know. I, I think they're in trouble. You lose two games at home. That's a bad sign. I think they're in trouble now. What do you think? Yeah, I definitely think Texas is favored. But weirdly enough, uh, I think this goes six to Texas. Uh, I think Texas wins this one in six. Um. The only reason I'll say that is just because, one, Houston, as much as I want to say they're dead or done in the water, um, they've still got a top-to-bottom lineup that can, you know, jump on you at any time. If Kyle Tucker gets going, you know, it's going to be just that much harder for Texas. So I think it goes six. I think Houston's going to bounce back. Um, but ultimately, I think uh, Texas' bats stay hot enough to put Houston away. And I think it's the Phillies, Texas uh, final, so. or I mean, world series that I was hoping for. So yeah. that's what I'm, I, I first. think that would be just like, it's going to be 10, fireworks, 10, just eight, fireworks. every single game, but I would love it. I would love it. That's yeah. what I want to see. see. But part of me kind of wants, if the fit, I'll say if the Phillies win, part of me wants the Astros to win just, to just see for the, the rematch. And I want to mm-hmm. see Philly, Obviously, I don't want the Astros to win, but I want to see Philly beat them. That would be pretty entertaining, too. But, yeah, I think if the Rangers, because the Astros are tough, you can't knock the, count them out. If they win one game at home and you at, at least go back 3-2 to Houston, I think you're in good shape there because you, you force Houston to kind of empty the tank. And then you can kind of, you know, you manage the game accordingly, but you don't have to throw all your eggs in one basket in one game, whereas Houston would be playing with their uh, backs against the wall. So they have the luxury. They took two games on the road. Just win one. <laughs> you can literally just win one game out of three at home to 
still have control of the series. So I think Texas wins. I say Texas, yeah. I think at this point, Texas in six is a safe bet. So let's hope for a Texas Phillies World Series when we get to that point. Yep. But yeah, I think that's that's uh, the baseball updates up to this point. So I think that's just let's hit our quick hitters. Uh, our new segment that we started a couple weeks ago. No Staley shenanigans this week. He didn't do anything crazy against the Cowboys, but we got some Foolish Fools nominees I want to point out. Dan Lanning gets one award this week. He, I mean, the decisions he made going for it on fourth down. Punt the ball. I know we talked about it with Blaze and Matt, but punt, punt the ball. I didn't get my chance to voice my opinion. Your defense was playing well. They have no timeouts. Force them to go 90 yards to win the game. It's kind of like the NFL, right? But the whole Kirk Cousins, you know, that Vikings uh, Chargers game. Hunt the ball. And then the second one, Mike McCarthy. I didn't mention this in the first segment, but his clock management is a problem. So at the end of the half, there's two timeouts for Dallas. Uh, eight seconds left. I see on the TV, okay, fine, eight seconds, call a timeout. We're going to have one play to the end zone, and then at worst, we kick a field goal. Mike McCarthy, his genius idea, oh, yeah, let me, let's me let run the clock down to three seconds and just kick the field goal. Bro, you have eight seconds. You can score a touchdown. Like, w- <laughs> they're so lucky they won this game. They're so lucky because that right there, that loses you games in the playoffs, let me tell you that. So. Mike McCarthy, Dan Lanning, congrats. Both of my coaches, you guys are foolish fools of the week this week. Not something you want to be on on this show. But you got any state of the 808s you want to shout out this week? Uh, one in particular, I'll say, and shoot, I wish I knew how to say his last name. But he's the Bengals receiver. Oh, the, the Punaho kid. Yeah, Andre Iosivas? Yeah, Ios- I think that's his Iosivas? name. Um. Anyway, yeah, Punahou, uh, Punahou guy got his first touchdown in the NFL. He went to Princeton of all places. Uh, but hey, good for him. You know, it's always nice to see any Hawaii talent out there. So hey, to get a touchdown in that Bengals out of that Bengals receiving core and to even get playing time, that's saying something because you know they got studs um at wide receivers. So shout out to Andre. Uh, congrats on your first touchdown in the NFL. Hopefully, many more to come. <laughs> Yep, local boys are showing out in the NFL now. They got a lot of them. But all right, as usual, sports fact of the day, October sixteenth, record day today. So, two thousand and three. Oh man, I could wish I was at this game. ALCS: The Yankees beat the Boston Red Sox in seven games, four to three in Game Seven. This is the famous Aaron Boone walk-off home run against Tim Wakefield to send uh, the Boston Red Sox home. Let's not talk about what happened the next year because that's also bad history if you're a Yankees fan. But 2003 ALCS was a good year. So I'll leave it at that. The Aaron Boone home run sports fact of the day. But I think that's all we got. Yeah? Yeah. We're good. All right. You want to close us out then? Yeah. Um, as usual, everyone, thank you for watching. Um, we'll be back next week. More playoff baseball talk, some football talk. So 
Um, hope everyone has a good week. Uh, stay safe, and we'll see you guys next week.